Chapter Eight of Janet of the Dunes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Janet of the Dunes by Harriet T. Comstock. Chapter Eight. Susan Jane's funeral cast all other events into the shade. It was the all-important topic of conversation and interest. David alone really grieved for her. The others had suffered too keenly from Susan's tongue and complaints to feel any honest sorrow in her passing. Her giving them the opportunity for so comfortable and gratifying a funeral was, perhaps, the one thing she could have done to cause them to respect her memory. Janet saw poor departed Susan in a belated halo of romance, and Janet was in the mood to be deeply touched. She no longer saw Susan old, helpless and ugly, full of small meannesses or sour criticism. She saw her only as the young girl, little older than herself, for whom long ago William Henry had always a smile and a gentle nickname. It was beautiful to the trouble-touched girl of the dunes to think that the old lover came back for his sweetheart and paused before claiming his treasure to thank poor Davy for his years of patient love and service. "'And he understands, I know,' Janet murmured, placing some autumn flowers near Susan Jane. "'He is glad that dear Davy could have the joy that seemed to us all a burden. That's the way it is when the former things have passed away.' The girl's tears fell among the flowers. "'Such things do not matter, then. But here they do. Oh, they matter most of all.' Mrs. Joe G., her boarders gone and her body weary from the summer's strain, gathered her neglected social charms together for Susan Jane's funeral. There would be a reunion of all Quinton that day. There would be a repast worthy the minister's donation. Eliza Jane Smith had offered her services as housekeeper pro tem. "'And a mercy, too,' snapped Mrs. Joe G., lapping a plaid shirt-waist over her scrawny chest. "'Janet's bout as useful as such times as a flounder. Lord save us! How I have fell away this season! We've cleared two hundred dollars, and about all my heft. Maud Grace!' "'Yes, Ma!' Maud Grace appeared, bleached out and thin, her eyes red from weeping and her voice shaky. "'What in land's name is the matter with you?' Mrs. Joji paused to gaze at the sodden face of the girl she had sacrificed much for during the season. "'Susan Jane,' faltered Maud. "'You ain't mournin' for her, are you?' "'No, ma'am, but I don't want to get to her buryin'. I ain't got no appetite for corpses. They always make me faint.' "'Well, you're goin', faint or no faint. So look after the children and get them ready. Land of love, I should think the sound of the stillness up at the light, after Susan Jane's clatter, would bout knock David out. I will say for him that he's earned his reward. Do stop snivelin', Maud Grace. You look as if you, stead of me, had frizzled over the cook-stove all summer.' It's bad enough to think you didn't land a bow, without looking as if you felt it, 
That Janet's goings-on hasn't served her neither, but she ain't gonna gloat over you while you've got a ma what can steer you straight. You get into your best clothes and perk up a bit. You can boss it over Janet. Her name is a soundin' symbol, or soon will be. She's got her mother in her strong. It's sort of wrung out of me since Janet's acted up so, though I had meant to keep my own knowledge. I don't know as she's done anything much, Ma. Just traipsed on the hills some and turned her nose up at borders, mostly. Mr. Fitch said— A weak color flushed Maud's face for an instant. Mr. Fitch said she felt herself high and mighty. But that ain't no crime. Mr. Fitch's name was one with which to conjure in the Gordon household. Like as not, he was running after her. Mrs. Joe G. was adjusting her memorial pin, a dreary piece of jewelry, composed of the hair from the heads of several dead and gone relatives. But Janet wasn't after his kind. She was a model. The woman whispered this information, glancing hurriedly at the small children whom Maud was now getting into their clothes. "'What's that?' whispered the girl in return. The hints about Janet were gathering force, in order to break after the excitement of the funeral was over. But Maud, with anxieties of her own, had heeded them but slightly until now. "'It's a thing no Quintonite ain't going to stand for,' quivered Mrs. Joe G. "'Tain't proper. I guess Cap'n Billy had better have kept her over to the station.' "'But what is it?' insisted Maud, her voice almost drowned in the shriek of one of the twins, whose long thin hair she had jerked by way of emphasis. Under cover of the scream, the mother replied, "'Tain't fit to talk about for a self-respectin' girl, but I don't want you should have anything to do with Janet after today.' "'Spell it,' pleaded Maud, shaking her younger sister into a sobful semi-silence. "'F-I-G-G-E-R,' spelled Mrs. Joe G. in an ominous murmur. Maud Grace's flat, expressionless face took on a really imbecile blankness. Figure, she repeated over and over. Figure? That's worse to understand than model. I don't see why you can't talk plain talk, Ma. Cause I told you, whisper or shoutin', tain't the thing for plain talk. But I wanted to give you a weapon in case Janet takes to crowin' over you, and she ain't above it. She's worse off than you be. With this, Mrs. Joji marshaled her host and set out for the light. It was late in the day, after poor Susan Jane had been laid away in the little graveyard back of the white church, that David slowly mounted the lighthouse stairs, pausing as usual upon every landing. There was no song upon his lips now. For the first time in thirty years, Davy felt that song was impossible. All smiling and many-colored, the landscape spread before him at every opening, but the man sighed without the laugh. "'The higher up I get,' he panted, "'it seems I feel heavier-hearted. I ain't got nothin' now, nor evermore shall have. 
I've had my turn, and when I reach t'other side, I can't expect poor William Henry to share her with me. Thirty years I had her, and course I can't complain. I ought to be thankful William Henry didn't begrudge me them years. And I am thankful. Yes, I am thankful. And somehow I believe the good God ain't going to let my heaven be blighted. In some way he's going to set it straight for us three over there. Maybe Susan Jane will kind of hanker after the care I gave. Maybe she's got kind of used to it. And maybe, since there ain't any marriage, or given in marriage, maybe she'll have love enough for us both. This conclusion brought a joy with it that radiated the honest face. "'That's the way out,' he murmured, standing upon the little balcony and facing a sunset so gorgeous that the world seemed full of glory. "'It's come to me as plain as William Henry come three nights back. It's borne in upon me that most all of life's riddles get answered when you get up high enough to leave hampering things below.' Downstairs, the loss of Susan Jane kills everything but the heartache. But up here... Davy walked around the light and looked tenderly at the land and sun-touched bay. Up here, where Susan Jane never came, I can see clearer, being accustomed to having it out alone with God, so to speak, for the last ten years. And now the sun was gone. Its gladsome farewell to Davy in the light made the smile gather on the wrinkled face. "'Your turn'll come,' he said smilingly in the old words. "'Your turn'll come.' Then he went down to the little waiting-room, lighted his own lamp, and took the book of poems from the table. He was ready for his next duty. He was soon lost to all but the swinging thought in the ringing lines. Davy was himself again. Then suddenly he was aware of a hand upon his shoulder. So tense were his nerves that had he looked up and seen either William Henry or Susan Jane, he would not have been surprised. But it was Janet, and her eyes were full of brooding love. "'Davy,' she said, "'do you remember how I used to play Hungry Man with you when I was a little girl?' "'I do that, Janet,' the cheerful old face beamed. "'Have you had any supper?' you used to ask. "'Have you had any supper, Mr. Hungry Man?' "'Let's play now,' the girl laughed gently. "'Have you had any supper, Mr. Hungry Man?' "'Why, I can see you just as plain as plain, Davy. "'You used to stand inside the lamp, and the lenses made you long and thin.' and dreadfully starved-looking. "'But once I got outside the glass, I plumped up quick enough,' Davy returned. He saw the look in Janet's eyes that called for bravery in him. She was pale and pitiful, and he turned comforter at once. "'It's all dependent upon the position you take, how you look to others.' Once you get outside of most things, you straightway freshen up and get likelier looking. You've had no supper tonight, Mr. Hungry Man. Janet put her face close to Davy's. I ain't suffering for food, Janet. You never own to any suffering, Davy. 
But look here. She ran to the landing and brought in a large tray neatly spread with food. It isn't leavings, she explained, placing the dishes before him. Eliza Jane's cooking is for company, mine for Davy and me. I made the biscuits myself. Aren't they flaky? They are that, nodded Davy. Flaky don't do them justice. They're flakes. And that coffee. By gum, Janet, that smells like coffee. Davy, it is coffee. The girl was glowing, and her eyes shone blue in the lamplight. I'm going to eat with you, Davy. She drew up a stool. Eat and talk. Davy fell to with a suddenly awakened appetite. But Janet watched him above her clasped hands. Presently she said, Davy, who is going to, to... She was about to say, keep house for you, but, recalling Susan Jane's helplessness, she said instead, Who is going to keep you from being awfully lonely now? Why, Janet, Davy's full mouth hampered his speech, I reckon I'll have to stay lonely straight on to the end. I've had my life. Davy, will you share me with Cap'n Billy? Davy gulped his mouthful and tilted his chair back. I'm a masterful hand at sharin' folks, Janet, but someone sides Billy may have something to say as to this bargain. There's Mark now. No, Davy, there's no one, and that's the end of it. I'm a, well, a failure in getting anything to do from strangers, and so I thought if you would let me, I'd share with you and Billy, and by working very hard I'd make my board and keep. The sweet face quivered. Ain't the paintin' business paid, Janet? Davy, during sleep-filled days and lonely nights up aloft, had caught no drifting gossip to disturb him. No, it hasn't paid, the girl drooped forward wearily. Billy said you was helping a woman painter. The women have all gone now, Davy. That's the worst of foreign trade, comforted David. You can't depend on it. No, but I mean to be a good housekeeper, Davy. I'm going to make you and my Cap'n Billy Daddy just cozy. I reckon I'm better fitted for home trade. Like as not, Janet, like as not. Most women are, if they only get convinced for it's too late. Well, I'll be powerful thankful to have you around. Tain't any way for a man to live without the woman's touch. Sometimes I've fancied that's what makes women restless. Men don't credit them with enough importance. You've eaten a fine supper, Mr. Hungry Man. Davy had eaten it all. And now I'm going downstairs to make things homey. I wish the sun rose earlier. Good night, Davy. She bent and kissed his seamed and rugged cheek. Good night, Janet, and God bless you. At every window on the way down, the girl stopped to look out at the stars that were thick in the early autumn gloaming. She was aware of a lack of joy in life, 
one has to know sorrow and trouble to recognize and classify it clearly. Knowledge was coming slowly to Janet. Hope had buoyed her up, the hope that Thornley would let her prove that she was stronger and braver than that silly creature he had once thought her, but, as time dragged on and no call came from the hut upon the hills, hope died. Then she had seen Thornley drive past her one day with that white girl from Bluff Head. The pale, exquisite face had suddenly grown scarlet at the sight of Janet by the wayside, and Thornley had stared right ahead, taking no heed. Since that day the lack of joy had grown apace. She had gone to the hut upon the hills and hung the tiny whistle upon the door latch. She would never call him again. She had not looked for the key. She had not thought of entering. No longer had she a right there. Billy had deferred his explanations to the girl after his visit to the hut. The sudden death of Susan Jane had postponed the day. At the foot of the lighthouse stairs, Janet paused and held her breath. Someone was moving about the rooms. Someone with a candle, for the flickering shadows rose and fell upon the inner chamber wall. The room in which Susan Jane had died. No fear of a robber stirred Janet. The time had not come when Quinton must fear that. It could not be Mark Tapkins. He might be foolish enough to use his off-night haunting the light. His actions were curious of late. But had it been Mark, he would have been sitting patiently on the outer steps. Janet waited a minute, and then went noiselessly into the sitting-room, and tiptoed to the bedroom door. Then she started back, nearly dropping the tray of empty dishes. The intruder was Maud Grace. She held a lighted candle, and she was hunting, evidently, for something, for she looked under the bed, in each drawer, in the closet, and at last she got down upon the floor and thrust her hand beneath the bedclothes. It was not her actions alone that startled Janet, but the dumb look of misery upon the pale, stupid face. Maud Grace! The crouching girl gave a muffled cry and then sat upright, clasping her hands closely. What are you looking for? It seemed an odd way to put the question. It sounded as if Maud were in her own room and had only misplaced some article of clothing. "'Her money!' The words were clear and hard. "'Susan Jane's box! I know what you think, Janet. You think I'm a thief. But I've got to have money, and I'll pay it back.' "'Come out in the sitting-room, Maud. I'll light the lamp, and then we can talk.' The calmness of tone and words gave the girl upon the floor courage to rise and go into the next room. There she sat down in Susan's old rocker and waited until Janet made a light. Then they faced each other, Janet taking her place upon the horsehair sofa. "'You're just as bad as me,' cried Maud suddenly. The steady look Janet bent upon her angered and repelled her. You ought to understand how it is. I don't know what you mean, Janet replied. But I'm not bad enough to steal a dead woman's money. 
Maud turned a bluish white and her misery-filled eyes fell. I had to have money. I daren't ask Pa or Ma. I can't tell anybody. But I've got to have money to go away. I could have sent it back somehow once I got away. Where are you going? Janet's voice had the ring of scorn in it, though she tried to think kindly. Ah, you needn't put on them airs, Maud was trying to keep the tears back. You ain't any too good with your modelin', and you, you, a figure. This did not have the desired or anticipated effect upon Janet. She looked puzzled. "'Somehow you sound as if you were talking in your sleep, Maud Grace,' she said. "'You don't seem to have any sense. "'But you've got to explain about the money.' At this Maud sprang from the chair and flung herself beside Janet. She must have help, and this girl, doubted by all the moral village folks, was her one hope in a desolate hour. "'I've got to go after him!' she sobbed. After him? Janet could not free herself from the clinging arms. Yes, Mr. Fitch. Ah, oh, Janet, if you was good like all the rest, you couldn't understand. But all day I've been thinking how you would stand up for me if you knowed. He made love to me, Mr. Fitch did, and now he's gone and he don't write and I know he's never coming back. Something tells me. And, oh, Janet, I've got to have him. I have, I have. I only meant to take the money till I got to him. I found his card in his bedroom after he went. He didn't tell me true where he lived, but the card's all right. And I've got to go. The girl's thin voice was hoarse with emotion. She clung closer, and her breath came hard and quick. A loathing filled Janet as she listened, a loathing made bitter by the insinuation of her similarity to this poor, cringing creature beside her. "'You don't want him if he doesn't want you, do you?' she asked slowly. "'I do that,' Maud's tone was doggedly miserable. "'Even if he is trying to get away from you?' The memory of the weak, boyish boarder at Mrs. Jo G.'s added force to this question. Yes. Then shame on you, Maud Grace. I wouldn't say such a thing as that if I were to die. Maybe, the wretched girl groaned, maybe you ain't just like me. Somehow I can't think you are. But, Janet, it's worse than dying, this is. I've got to go. The poor pleading face was raised to Janet, but its dumb agony met no understanding emotion. A stir outside caused both girls to tremble with fright. I've heard every word you've said, Mark Tapkins stood in the doorway opening upon the porch. I was a settin' out there, sort of watchin' and thinkin' of other things and not noticin' what was passin', till all of a sudden it come to me that I had been a-listenin' and takin' in what wasn't intended for me. I'm glad I did. 
his slow face lifted proudly. "'I'm glad I was used, so to speak, for this end. Maud Grace, you ain't got any call to bother Janet no more. I understand you.' His eyes rested upon the forlorn girl, and she shrank as before fire. "'I understand, and this is man's work. "'You come along home, and tomorrow you give me that car to his'n, "'and I'll travel up to town and fetch him back.' "'Mark!' Janet was on her feet, her eyes blazing. "'You mustn't help her in this foolish business. "'You have no right to interfere. "'You have no right here.' She shall not make herself so ridiculous as to send for a man who is trying to get away. Mark looked at her gently, patiently. Sho, Janet, he soothed. You leave things you don't understand to them as does. I'm going to fetch that feller back. I know his kind. The city breeds him. Maybe the bracin' air down here will help him. Come along, Maud Grace. It's natural enough for me to take you home from Janet's. Janet made no further effort to change Mark's intention, and he and Maud went away together. When Janet heard them close the garden gate, she went into the bedroom, took the money box that poor Maud had so diligently sought from the top shelf of the closet and put it in a bureau drawer. Then she turned the key in the drawer for the first time in all the years. End of chapter 8 Recording by Roger Moline